Hello, and welcome back to Parallel Passion. If you like this show, please share it with your friends. You can also support us via Patreon. Every like, every retweet, and every dollar helps. Thanks. Today, I'm joined by Jure Chuhalo, an entrepreneur and freelance web developer. He's most known for starting the biggest carpooling site in Slovenia called Prevoz and for organizing Webcamp Ljubljana. In the episode, we briefly discuss that, but most of the focus is on his hobbies like yoga, cooking, coffee, and many more. I don't want to give it all away in the intro, but he's a very interesting guy, so I'll let you enjoy the interview. Hi, Jure. Welcome to Parallel Passion. Thank you for having me, Mika. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, so why don't we begin this by you explaining uh, what it is that you do for money? So what's your, what's your profession? So I'm a professional web developer. And I work for an American, for, so for US-based nonprofit called Open Education Consortium, mm-hmm. where we help universities mostly and other institutions, mostly higher ed, open up their curriculum in, with something called open education, so open courses. Oh, that's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you've, you've always been into this um, education and, and mentoring stuff, right? Right. I've been always passionate about kind of teaching people. And, you know, seeing how they're empowered, like, you know, once they, they learn about something, they can start putting that in practice. And that feels really good to see, you know, you've been there to see that spark. Yeah, um, I, I I know how that is. And this is also what I think you are mostly known in the uh in the country if not the region like the um, organization of of events like that like uh, i don't know webcamp i guess this is the biggest one so webcamp grew to the bit the biggest one uh it started by you know doing smaller events in local hackerspace but the one before yeah it was pretty large over 500 people came yeah the, the last one was insane um also i guess the response was uh quite um overwhelming I would say. It, I'd say, yeah. It, and it's so interesting to start to talk. So webcamp was, was uh, I guess, eight years in the making. So, I mean, eight iterations. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see, hear from people saying, you know, I came to your first or second one and now I'm like international speaker. And this is where the first public talk, you know, where I gave my first public talk. Um, so... It kind of feels good to, to be there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That also makes you feel good to be like a, a, a part of this life. Yeah, because in the beginning, I and, and th- I guess still, you, we really have to push people, you know, saying, hey, you know enough, you're good enough, come, give a talk, don't worry if it's not going to be perfect, this is the place for you to practice. And then people actually come and give their talk, realize it's not end of the world, they can do it, and then go on and do more talks and, you know, kind of skyrocket their careers, I guess. Yeah, and also, I mean, it began as a, as a bar camp, which I don't know those kind of events still exist now, or if they do, I, I don't know about them, but like the idea of bar camp, if I remember correctly, was that uh, everyone who's an attendee should also be a speaker or at least try to be a speaker. Exactly. So that was the idea going from, you know, this kind of highly curated invite-only conferences to being more open communities, organized conferences. And I don't think there's, they're still popular in certain communities, but I don't see them a lot in tech. I don't know. Um, it's, 
it's always i mean even as as you know like you've been organizing meetups as well and i've i've um, tried to organize them as well and as you know it's uh, at least i maybe maybe it's slovenia but i think in general it's very hard to convince people to start speaking it, everyone thinks they have nothing to say but like in in reality if you know something you can teach that thing right and what i see is there's a huge lack of introductory talks Mm-hmm. So all my friends that kind of did the basic one-on-one talks in their kind of languages or communities actually got their talks submitted to one of those biggest conferences in the field. So if you want to, you know, give a talk at PyCon or EuroPython, just do something really intro and your chances are going to be much higher to get accepted as a speaker. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I, I I never thought about it as well because... Um, my path learning about stuff was um, that there was a lot of introductory stuff like tutorials and stuff like that and a lot of like uh, really advanced stuff how how you do some complex thing but that intermediary part is where like the web is really lacking uh, it's very hard to if like when you learn the basics it's um, very hard to find material that will just bring you over the the next step i completely agree and i i most of the days i feel frustrated with all the technology (laughs) and i feel like the web is getting much more complex and much more yeah much harder to navigate as a developer and as a user yeah i i would like to dive into this even deeper um and then talk about how web is ruining our lives uh, with overcomplication but um, yeah, I don't think this is a podcast for that. <laughs> um, maybe I should start something else, just like web developers being frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but speaking of um, one, so if if a person follows you on on Instagram or Twitter or uh, anywhere, you go by the name uh, Gandalfar. Um, where does that come from? So this is whew, my, I guess, even pretty nickname from IRC. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stuck with it for now. It's it, it obviously comes from Lord of the Rings, but because Gandalf was always taken, I just had to put something on the end. <laughs> there's, there's no more complex story to that. Uh, and and you identify yourself as a wizard? Oh, I used to. <laughs> now, and now I'm just like, okay, this is part of my kind of younger life. Another thing that person finds if they follow you is um, a sort of obsession with yoga. So um, how did you... How did you get into that, and like what um, what inspired you to to start doing it? So, I think if it like as many people, it started with me having health problems. You know, sitting all day wasn't good for my back. Mm-hmm. My back, so I was like, okay, I need to start doing something for my body, and I, w- I was already doing some light yoga in at my friend's studio. But then as my problems got worse, I was like, okay, I should do more. And I started doing more and, you know, suddenly going once a week, turn into two times, three times. And as I got more fit, it become a bigger part of my life, of my everyday life. Yeah. And I see your, um, well, actually before you, I didn't even know that was a thing like acro yoga. Um, so it, can you just explain to everyone who has no clue about it, like me? <laughs> okay, so there's actually a couple of things. So if I go back, I started doing yoga, and within the yoga community, there's 
a lot of different styles of yoga. Mm-hmm. There's Hatha yoga, which is what I do. I also do some of the Ashtanga Vinyasa, which is kind of like Hatha yoga with more, with a set of, it's always the same kind of list of asanas, of poses. And then within, so that's part of where I am. And it's very much kind of physical practice in that regard. And there's also the spiritual part of yoga, which we can talk about later. And then in addition to that yoga, you oftentimes kind of see hot yoga, which is, you know, kind of like Bikram, where you do it in very hot spaces. And there are also like numerous other variations. Mm. So it's like sauna or, or how hot? Yeah, it's like, I think it's, I guess, 39 degrees and oh, very okay. humid. If I remember, I haven't tried it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea there is that because it's so hot, the muscles kind of expand easier and, you know, you feel more loose, more loose in the joints. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, you know, you go running, it's much easier in a way to run in warm environment than in really cold one due to the way the body works sure however lately it's been very hard to run right. precisely because it's too hot and too humid but but it makes you very flexible yeah. so that kind of gives you additional edge so that's one way um so it's very much depend on what you want you know when people say yoga they think and see many things but it's really up to each i guess each studio has its own flavor depending on the teacher mm-hmm. Um, so with regard to yoga, so what I did was I started going to the yoga practices and then as I was practicing more, I suddenly decided, okay, this is nice, but you know, being a geek, I wanted to learn more. So how do you learn more from the, from yoga world? And everybody, basically everybody said to me, you know, you should do a teacher training. So that's what I did. Right. So for the last year. I basically went to a, do a, a 300 hour teacher training for yoga. Mm. And then, then finally, like all the stuff that you do in, you know, under instructor classes that kind of this came over because it's not important is finally see, oh, the breadth of yoga and the, this world of physical and personal practice. Where does, uh, where does acro yoga enter your field of vision? So. Acro yoga, as far as I can see for now, it's, I've been just practicing it for the last month or two. Uh-huh. Um, so just starting with that. And it's, it's actually not yoga as such. It's acrobatics. Mm-hmm. It just has a yoga in a name. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be some small elements, but it's, it's completely different. It's a lot of, you know, handstands and different, different ways of how to kind of, enter the poses with a partner. So the, if you've seen the pictures of acro yoga on like Instagram, it's yeah. often the ones that are, you know, two or more people in a different pose and there's somebody which is, so there's the usual person below is a base and they're holding up the flyer. What you don't see in those poses is also a spotter, the third person, which kind of stands next to that flyer and kind of make sure to catch them if they fall, you know, if they're doing some or the base can hold them and so mm. on. So, so they're not the one taking the photo. <laughs> and there's probably somebody else taking the photo, right? <laughs> um, so it's, it's very much kind of like more like, I would say more like dancing or play. Yeah. You know, you have to communicate a lot. It's really, it's about balance and listening to other person. 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's a completely different thing from yoga. Yeah, I mean, it, on at least on pictures, it looks much more um, attractive and and interesting, I guess, than than regular yoga. But maybe because it does it doesn't have much to do with. It looks amazing even in person when you look at the people. You know, when the instructor shows you, okay, so now we're going to do that, and then they do the pose. You go, wow, I can never do that. Yeah. But then it turns out it's all about how you enter the pose and the technique. So then usually, you know, we can do it in a matter of minutes, kind of more or less that version of the pose. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, I, I uh, notice it when I'm running through the park uh, where uh, you guys are practicing. I'm, I'm usually going uh, like in late evenings when there's a lot of yoga going on there. I know yesterday there was an event and there was, I don't know, like hundreds of people in and I was like, whoa, what's happening? And only later I found out, oh, there was like a yoga class or something. Yeah, yoga is really popular right now. And um, you you said that you um, take it also from like a spiritual level. So um, did it help you in, in some way, like um, um, like mentally? So yoga is all about, in a way, it's a very I would say it's a very geeky sport. Okay. It's a lot about, you know, kind of personal control and mastery. It doesn't look, so if you look at, you know, how the Instagram and Facebook presents yoga at the moment, it's like, you you know, you have to be pretty sitting next to a pond and contemplating life. <laughs> and, you know, everything is n- nice. And have a nice quote on top of it. Yeah, definitely. You need to have a quote <laughs> over your head. But in practice, what turns out is that Yes, obviously, you know, you sit somewhere and contemplate, you know, life or sit with yourself, but it comes from personal mastery, which is, you know, having a strong, you know, uh, physical practice of doing the uh, asanas. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of having a good physical practice is so that you can then have, you know, energy and concentration to think about, you know, about life, about, you know, devotion to whatever deity you want to devote yourself to, if you're into that, and to to meditate. Right. So you enter like a a Zen space when you're you're practicing yoga, or is it... It it becomes very contemplative, yeah. You kind of, you do your... If you're doing physical practice with time, you kind of start feeling your body, and, you know, you stop, mind kind of stops racing around. And you kind of go, yes, you're practicing, you know, you're doing vinyasa, which is kind of like a Mm -hmm. push-up and so on. But you do it with more of the breath and spirit and so on. Another thing that yoga is strong on is breathing. So suddenly you kind of, you you get so much more self-control in the moment, in the poses and also under stress. Mm Mm-hmm. So in that regard, it's also kind of really just, you know, practice for the extreme, extreme moments. And is this something that just kind of happens naturally? Because like when you start practicing and you, you have to calm down, you have to take like time to practice these poses. And it's just like by, by doing that, eventually you like your um, mind also relaxes or is it something you like have to work to towards some of that comes naturally and some of that kind of starts you start hearing your teachers you know encouraging you to think about it yet that way and then it's up to you to you know take the challenge and actually um, change the way you live and think and so on 
Right. And um, what was the biggest change on your life since you like picked up yoga? I feel like the, my whole life changed. So I sleep better, I eat better. I'm in a better, you know, physical shape. It just, it's a completely different life view, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm less, I would say less nervous, more calm. I don't care that much about, you know, small things, you know, that used to frustrate me. Yeah. But some of that also comes with age, I, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess, but <laughs> I'm not sure like in that kind of short time span. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can sort of relate. It's been sort of similar for me as well with running, uh, which does not even focus on like spirituality or anything like that, but just having an outlet um, where you have time to, to vent out, to do like a physical exercise, to, to like let your mind wander um, helps a lot with just everyday life. Yeah, definitely. And you said about food. Um, now, another thing you see on your Instagram is a lot of uh, food. And I know that um, you, you like going out, but you also enjoy cooking a lot, right? Right. So, so the interesting challenge that was posed to us by, you know, th- during the teacher training was to go vegan mm-hmm. during the, that time, which was a year. And I was thinking, okay, that's interesting. I was already li- eating a lot like that kind of trying to stay healthy and then but going completely you know going kind of trying to go completely vegan was an interesting challenge you know and instead of trying to see that as a punishment I was like oh wow you know let's see what happens if I do that for a year you know because the question was obviously like oh we're doing all this physical practice you know can I live you know can I do plant-based diet Mm -hmm. and still stay you know kind of strong and fit and then, you know, I started researching, reading books, talking to other yogis around me. And they was like, yeah, that's fine. You just eat, you know, whatever, you know, eat, st- eat good stuff and you feel fine. Um, so that was part of the exploring. What I did discover is that it's almost impossible to eat that way in Ljubljana if you're kind of eating out. Right. Um, and that, that I feel best if I just kind of cooked my own food. Where which actually led to me figuring out, oh, so how do I do meal prep? That's, you know, within my constraints for a week. What do I do with, with the seasonal things? And that obviously led me to kind of start exploring farmer's market and getting more into cooking and realizing, you know, that food that I cook, you know, actually tastes good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that kind of started opening up all sorts of different uh, venues for me to explore so you're still sticking with like 100 percent vegan diet i'm it turns out that for me right now it's too hard mm-hmm. well i'm not willing to do all the sacrifices so i'm cooking vegan at home which is most more most meals and then when i go outside i would just kind of go vegetarian right because of the well s- since i don't want to go since I want to actually sometime from time to time actually eat also other things. Yeah. And um, as, as far as like plant-based diets go, um, they can be surprisingly versatile. I like uh, one of the best um, endurance runners out there, Scott Jurek. Um, he's like a complete vegan and he has this book on like uh, eat and run or something like that. Um, and um, I'm, 
after reading that, I, I changed my mind completely about... Because I, I guess I thought the same as you did in the beginning. Like, is is vegan diet... Um, could it be enough for surviving? Like, even if you, if your body goes like through hard, hard work or anything like that. But um, after reading that, yeah, apparently you can do whatever you want. Like, it's just you have to you have to learn about it and have to like use um, different ingredients that you may not know and are maybe not so common in in our areas. But yeah, it it can totally be done. So I'm big on experimenting. So, you know, like, I'm always happy to say, well, let me change something in my life for a month or so, and I'll quickly see if I can stick with that. So, you know, the experiments that I did is, you know, let's, let's see what happens if I stop eating this ingredient mm-hmm. or if I add something new. So right now, for example, I'm experimenting with maybe daily drinking some of the powdered ginger. Okay to see if that anti-inflammation effects have anything on weight, you know, on my training, you know, if I have less muscle soreness and so on. Right. And, and do you buy ginger powdered or do you just... Uh, do- I, I, I just buy, I just, for now, I just bought it powdered. Mm. It's it's one of my favorite drinks in the winter, especially just like uh, cut the ginger, put some lemon, some honey and like hot water and it's done. And it's, it's super refreshing. It feels good. Um, and it tastes good and it's supposedly healthy. <laughs> yeah, so everything I read about it says, you know, this is the thing to do. So I'm like, okay, let's try this out. And what are the intermediate results? So far, it seems that it's working. So there's actually definitely less muscle pain. Mm. Okay, that's that's good. And the, um, the muscle pain come, like, is it is it muscle pain or is it just because you're uh, Sorry, muscle, muscle soreness. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. But like, uh, is, is it common because you stretch too much or um, are you overworking or? It's mostly from swimming mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So um, this summer I've been doing the seven week uh, swimming camp where it's just near my home. And it's like what we're, it's really cool. It's four times a week you can go. Okay. And it's one hour swimming with a, with a, you know, professional that coach with a coach. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I, I, I would definitely need to look into something like that. So I do that and then I put yoga next to it and so on. So it's, uh, yeah. I think I, I definitely probably do too much, but it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, I, I read a good book recently on like how, um, resting is a very, very important part of like, um, any sport or just human life. Like you have to take time to rest. Otherwise you're just, um, putting everything under too much stress and overload and sooner or later something bad will happen. Definitely the rest and not just like physical rest, right. From the doing sports. Yeah even mental rest like taking yeah, yeah. time to nap and do nothing i guess and just relax it's so much so important right now yeah yeah i i agree absolutely and i think i pra- i don't practice it enough but um at least i know i should be working on it <laughs> I, I i was thinking about picking up swimming because one of the things that i uh, want to do one day is like a triathlon and while i can swim you know i won't drown i'm i'm not a particularly good swimmer and um, doing something, uh, like you mentioned, having a coach might actually help a lot. So I started, actually started swimming two years ago. I could barely swim before that. Mm-hmm. And I can say this is like, for me, it was, it's also such a great experience. 
So I would, during the normal season, I would go twice a week in the morning with the coach. Um, and yeah, you just go there, you're too sleepy to think about it. They give you, <laughs> they tell you what to do. And, you know, the, and uh, then I finish at around eight and start my day. Yeah, I, I start my day with coffee usually. <laughs> <laughs> How did you, so why did you start swimming? Um, what got you into that? So I have a friend, she's really into swimming and she was kind of telling me, go try, go try. So at some point I said, okay, you know, I should give this swimming a try. And I, you know, I, I said, okay, I can always, you know, I can go for three, four months, like half a season. I started going and I never stopped. I actually liked it so much. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. It's very nice when you find something that you really enjoy doing and then you just, um, maybe you, you started like, oh, I'm going to do this like for a month or two months, but then you just stick with it because like you really, really enjoy it. Yeah. And then I, like lately I've discovered, you know, yoga really helps with swimming because it helps you kind of be more aware of the body and how you kind of stretch yourself and extend and so on. Mm -hmm. So that kind of contemplate kind of gets together nicely. And it kind of also helps with, you know, the, because you do so much breathing, it also helps with the way you think about breathing and muscles uh, in the context of swimming. So, yeah, we, we just touched before, but we really didn't go uh, into it. Um, so uh, you, you do cook a lot by yourself and you also make a lot of bread by yourself. Um, do you still do this? Like, do you practice sourdough now that you're vegan or how does, how's that, how does that work? Uh, so I stopped actually eating bread about a year ago. Okay. Um, as a part of a, another experiment. So I haven't picked that up yet again. Um, and actually I'm so far, I'm fine without bread. Uh, so that was for, yeah, I guess for a year or two, just, so my brother is really big into sourdough. So he got me, like, got me interested in that. And I really enjoyed it for that while. I would, I would say, like, stay, starting making your bread is really fulfilling. And kind of, you go from the start and to the end. And there are so many different variations, you know, based on the flour and how much, you know, water you put in. And at some point, I started putting different kind of flowers and tastes into it. Mm -hmm. For example, for mice, the one I really liked was beetroot bread. Oh. Where you just kind of, you cook the beetroots and then you kind of put them into the blender, you blend them and then use that instead of water with flour. Huh. Um, so, and then that kind of gives you this kind of really bitty taste in the end and really red bread. Um, it's it, and completely kind of freaks people out because you never see that kind of bread around us, but it's so good. I, I never even imagined there is such a thing, but now I want now I want to try it. <laughs> so you can totally do that kind of stuff. And so for me, I guess the biggest problem at some point was you know finding all the pe finding people that would eat all that bread <laughs> because it doesn't make sense for you to make kind of make half a kilo of bread. Yeah, you usually make you know two big loaves and you're like you know who wants so so much bread mm. yeah that that's the thing like i don't eat 
much bread um, at all. Like I, I was never really much into bread, even though it's a it's a thing here. Like people adore bread. Um, they like no matter which restaurant you go to, like next to the main dish, you'll be served like additional bread. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't <laughs> I don't need it. But um, yeah, uh, sourdough is uh, has always fascinated me just because how how simple it is. Uh, like the ingredients list is basically three, right? Yeah, more or less. You can add some salt. Oh yeah, I mean sure, but but like uh, to 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 get the starter, you did you did did your brother give you the the starter or did you make my, it yourself? Yeah, my brother gave me my, the starter. Yeah, mm. um, and it's the best. You know, you, the best way to start it is to get somebody to give you a starter. And it turns out there are like huge Facebook communities of sourdough bakers. Mm -hmm. So you just find your local one and say, hey, who can give me some starter? And you'll get it very soon. Yeah, I, I read some blog post about um, uh, from Napo uh, who wrote how he made it himself like a couple of years ago and it's still going like with the same one. Um, it's, it's just fascinating to me how basically like cultures survive and you just feed them, feed them and take some. Yeah, it's really easy. You just kind of put some, you just need to feed it like once a week or so. But you, you also like coffee, right? Or is this something that um, is, is also an ex-hobby now that you are like living healthier life? Um, coffee is something I still can't shake. I'm starting to think that maybe I should, but <laughs> let's see. Yeah, I, I love, I love coffee. So at the moment, I just, I buy it from local, I don't know, what's the... Roasters? What's the, roasters, yeah. Yeah. And make my own French press. French press. Oh, you make French press. I, I thought you were into V60 and, and like pour overs. Um, I like that when I go out, but at the home, I'm just kind of, French press is the easiest. Mm. And, and how do you grind? So do you have it pre-ground or do you have a grinder? Oh, I have a small Hario and just manually grind it. Oh, that's, you see, that's, that's why I do French press because it's much easier to grind when it's like coarse. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have a, I have a V60, mm -hmm. but the coffee doesn't come out, out correctly because my, yeah, it's too, too coarse. Yeah, it's um, and especially with this, uh, like for French press, it doesn't matter as much, but for uh, pour overs, um, it matters a lot the consistency of the grind, and like cheap small manual grinders will just never be good enough to to have like a good enough taste. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to have like an electrical coffee grinder. It doesn't feel like it's it's something I would use enough. Yeah, well, they're not that expensive. You can get a very decent one for like 100 euros, something around that. Okay, maybe something for the future. I, I know because like my uh, co-worker was also um, like, I think he had also Hario, I'm not sure, but he has like a, he had like a manual grinder and he did uh, try to do V60 and I recommended him to get like a, a Baratza Anchor uh, electrical grinder. And he's like, oh my God, the same coffee tastes like 200% better. I'm like, yeah, sure. Because like it's much more consistent than you can ever be with like a small manual grinder. I do wonder, can you grind your beans in a blender? Um, you can. I mean, if you remember those old school grinders that you can still probably get like... Yeah, yeah. They are basically tiny dining blenders. Um, and the, the problem is it's very, very inconsistent. Uh, you'll have some very fine, like just dust particles. Uh, okay. And some of the big ones. So it's no be better to do it manually than with a blender. <laughs> okay. Because I, I blend my flax seed and my chia seeds 
and the, the consistency there seems okay but i guess the the margin of error is much different there yeah also coffee is brittle so um i flexes are less brittle i guess okay yeah makes sense yeah, but i mean feel free to try it um <laughs> i from what i heard yeah it's it's not particularly consistent um and what got you into coffee like uh did you where was the f- first coffee you had that you were like oh so so this is how it should taste like hmm i think so i always kind of drank coffee with milk mm-hmm. and i still when i go out and i'm like i need most of the coffee tastes horrible yeah in in random bars so that's where i need some sort of milk next to it but i like the new hipster culture where it's like all the all the V60s and so on. So yeah, I'm not a purist. I don't mind having milk in my coffee because uh, espresso is too strong for me and milk sometimes bring um, different flavors out of coffee. But yeah, um, filter coffees are much nicer. I guess, yeah, years ago when, you know, we're starting to see the Chemex around mm-hmm. Ljubljana and then starting to develop the taste for like pure coffee. And... I never liked espresso, but because it was, I guess, too acidy, acidy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess now I, I would be okay with it. Yeah, um, it's it's also like it's when espresso is properly done, it's very strong. Um, like, and most people are, if you're not used to drinking it, it's just gonna be too strong. Too many flavors at the hitting your mouth at once, and you just can't process it all. Mm. So. Um, I, I mean, that's at least the experience most people have, which is why they drink Americano or, you know, with milk. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But still, like, if you if you have a chance to do it yourself on a filter, it's going to be um, much more flavorful than anything you can do with, like, espresso machine for, like, in, in 90% of the cases. Mm. So I guess we should all kind of go more filter coffee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, even French press is is good enough, or like is <laughs> is is good. Um, it's it's better than most of the things out there, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you ever experimented like with with ordering online from different roasters, like different kind of coffees uh, and stuff like that? I did, and at that point, I didn't feel like too satisfied with the results. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now I'm like really happy with the, you know, the choices I have in Ljubljana. I prefer more like citrusy, flowery tastes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And most of the, you know, most of the here, I have the choice to buy such coffee. So I'm kind of sticking to that. Yeah, the scene really changed in the past three to four years here. Because I, I remember coming back from from Portland, there was nothing here. Uh, there was chokel, but um, the problem there is if if he's not serving you coffee, it's not going to be good, um, which is a, like a, a sad thing. I, I always hate when um, whoever is the owner of the bar or the cafe or whatever does not educate their staff to do things properly. So you have a lot of inconsistency between the visits and that's not good, no matter if it's a cafe or a restaurant or whatever. Um, consistency, I think, is the most important thing of any. Um, yeah, that that's a huge challenge with, I guess, with everything. Yeah, and you know, it, if if you go to the same place and in like three times you have three completely different experiences, you just might not go there anymore. 
Um, even if it's like not great, but it's consistently good, it's better than if it like really goes up and down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think it's getting better. Like everybody's kind of learning how to do this kind of professional level experience with every with every customer. Yeah, I, I, I sure hope so. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm having experiences all over the map all the time, so <laughs> maybe I don't go in the right places. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there has been an explosion of, of good coffee and, and new roasters in, in Slovenia lately, and I'm, I'm super happy that it's happening now, finally. Yeah, so my question to you is, have you ex- actually experimented with cooking with coffee? So uh, did you use it in, like, dishes? Yeah, no. Yeah, I was just looking at like we're trying to do some glazing with coffee on uh, some of the carrots. Hmm. And it kind of turns out okay. okay. Still working on that recipe. So there's a lot of things you can do with coffee. Um, also, you know, when you're doing oven roasted vegetables and so on. Yeah, interesting. No, I, I never looked into it. The only um, coffee dish that I can remember of doing is like tiramisu okay sure <laughs> but that barely counts <laughs> that's a different style yeah but um I, I don't know what what else can you do with with coffee and, and cookery well it's not just often but i guess yeah definitely you could probably do glazings or infusions or even marinate with coffee mm. you know what, what would you marinate in coffee just vegetables you know just kind of this root vegetable kind of things i would definitely want to kind of experiment more with that yeah i i have zero experience but now yeah it does sound like something that i might try if you think about it like you take coffee right and you if you take maybe like vanilla ice cream or even any of these kind of milk-based ice creams and Mm -hmm. you pour and you pour espresso over it Mm -hmm. you get this kind of nice mixture of flavors yeah that's amazing that's like the the simplest thing to completely satisfy satisfy your taste buds is the what you describe is called a fogato it's basically just yeah, yeah vanilla ice cream and espresso and it's so good so simple but so good so the so the thing is right what if we can find something that mimics the ice cream within the know, root vegetables and use that in connection with coffee what do we get right so I still have to, that's something that I, now that we're talking, I'm thinking, okay, we sh- I should definitely explore that. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep me posted and tell me like the good recipe, <laughs> not the, well, not the failed ones. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So how much do you fail when you're experimenting uh, with, with food and, and making it just randomly? A lot. And do you throw it away or do you just like, oh, I have to eat it anyway? <laughs> I mean, mostly it's, it's edible. It's just not kind of really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, the kind of dish you would you know serve your date ah, yeah it's kind of like it's okay i can eat this and i can put you know um i don't know a bit more uh, tomato sauce on it and it's going to be fine um but what i also do is i would kind of so one of the things i was doing was like um sweet potatoes and i would just do them like four five six times in a row every few days to just kind of figure out okay what can i do what can i change to make sure that does to figure out how the food behaves mm-hmm. to experiment with it and to kind of kind of get my recipe that i can consistently make at this level yeah sweet potatoes is one of those things that um up until i don't know two three years ago i knew nothing about 
but now I see them like in more and more places and um, they for some reason they are like considered healthy or something like that and I think because of that they've been popping up in a lot of places yeah I guess and they're they're new I guess that's the thing oh they're new to us they're new to kind of this cuisine right because what I've found that most of the food here is pretty similar and has been the same for the last decades so then people introduced something like sweet potato to the menu and everybody's shocked (laughs) and refused to eat that yeah well (laughs) one of the things that i I know you're also passionate about is like um freelancing and especially like upping your your freelancing game so um basically charging more earning more um having better clients um, is is this something that uh, you got into on 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 your own? Like you you came to that on by yourself, or or is it uh, were you inspired by others and also want to inspire more people with with that sort of thinking? So I think the the best insp- the there are two influences for me there. One is definitely Patrick McKenzie, mm-hmm. Patio Eleven. Um, if you don't know him, you should go and read his blog. Definitely on this, you know, salary negotiation and other stuff he wrote. But he has a really simple statement, which is, you know, charge more. And that's mostly what most of the people need to hear. They should just charge more. Uh, the other w- that w- guy that really helped me was Brennan Dunn with his www.freelancing.com. Yeah. And that sounds really, you know, cheesy and, you know, simple, kind of, you know, is does that really work? Is that a scam? But at some point I was just, okay, you know, and I bought, I think, I guess all of his courses at that time <laughs> and it worked. I really kind of doubled my, my rate over a course of months. So that was, that was pretty cool. And are you still doubling your rate or is it like, now it reached the point you're like, oh, I, I can't possibly charge more <laughs> in this market. It turns out, so what changed for me, I guess, and I really appreciate this, I became much more open with talking to people about my rates at that time, you know, and, you know, kind of comparing to my friends. Because one of the things that kind of drives me crazy in this culture here is nobody talks about salary. Nobody talks about money. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just here. Uh, I think in US it's even worse. Like sometimes you're even prohibited to discuss your rate with anyone. Right. Right. But the thing is, right, when you're talking to your professional peers, you know, it's interesting to go to somebody and kind of say, hey, I charge this much. And they would go, oh, that's interesting. I charge half of that or, you know, I charge half, you know, 20% more. And you could go, well, asking them, how do you do that? You know, why can you charge so much more if I can clearly see that we are kind of at the same level? Mm -hmm. What's the difference? Are your clients... Do you treat clients differently? Do you find clients differently? Do you offer different services? What's the, you know, what's the magic touch that you have? Right. So what's the answer? It's, it's a lot about learning how to run a business. So going from somebody that just does work to somebody that provides business value. You have to change the way you talk, the way you think. You have to understand your client. You have to kind of minimize the risk and so on it's there's no one specific answer it's more like a path that you have to go down to 
you know, listen to podcasts, read books, talk to your peers. So basically you turn yourself into product owner or product manager more than just being a, a developer in our case. So for me, the the coolest keyword I heard was value-based pricing, mm-hmm. where, you know, the problem is when you become really good at your craft, you kind of start penalizing yourself if you charge by the hour. Because people, you know, they don't want to pay you highly hourly rate because they say, what if you take many hours? And you can't really, you know, estimate the number of hours. But with time, you know, we go, you come to this kind of mix of value-based pricing and service-based consulting, which I'll explain in the moment. And then you kind of can go get a client and say, okay, this is going to charge this is going to cost you this amount of money and it's a fixed cost per project. And at that point, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it takes you two hours or three days because the client pays the same amount. Um, so that's where kind of this service-based consulting comes in. So, um, sorry, pr- productized consulting comes in where you more or less always sell the same thing to different clients. Mm-hmm. Um, example would be, you know, setting up a WooCommerce store on WordPress. The process itself is pretty much standardized. You know, you get client needs to give you requirements and they have to either take photos of their products or you do it for them for a fixed fee. You set up the site, you put one of those designs on, or you have a designer and so on. And you know roughly how much time it takes, you know how much communication overhead you have, which means that you can charge, you can basically give a fixed fee on the whole project. And as you get better, you know, your time and your processes get better and that kind of lowers your cost, but you can keep the profit margins high and that's how you make more money, for example. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I, I think a lot of times is the problem precisely because we're not discussing how much Um, how much we make, what are our rates, that um, everyone is making less because of that. Definitely. And it's also kind of people don't really, I think it's it's really hard to figure out what's the fair market rate, at least in environment as us, ours, you know, where half of the people are working for local companies that are having trouble, having enough money to stay afloat. There are some people working for our funded blockchain startups <laughs> and the rest is working basically for US and, you know, UK market, which pays considerably more. Yeah, but still considerably less than they would pay for a local there. Definitely, definitely. Looking sometimes at um, uh, Swizits, which was also on this podcast, is pretty loud sometimes about uh, how much people make in the valley. And you're looking at those numbers and you're like, that's just, that's just insane. Like, why would you pay person this much when you can have a same or better person working remotely for like a quarter of that and they would still consider it a very good salary right but it's still a it's a still a very large at least in this for my peers it's a large huge learning opportunity because you know getting your first remote job it's scary yeah and then how do you you know work even as a you know hourly or daily contractor how do you work for a remote client how do you manage expectations how do you write reports and so on how can you be proactive enough so i think there's so much more we can do in terms of educating ourselves 
and the community around us to kind of support this kind of changes to to our jobs to our work i've been working remotely now for over five years and this is something i am um very passionate about and i'm thinking of how can i educate more people that this is not as scary as it looks and how can i convince and um like somehow guide them to start working like that because the demand is crazy i yeah i don't know it seems like at some point it has to click for somebody you can't force them to start working remotely they have to have this kind of spark in them but once they do start we can help them we can give them support you know making sure that they succeed i I don't know maybe maybe we should start a course or something How do you reconcile this, like charging more and having like a fair price and everything by, on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, running prevos.org or, uh, which is, um, for uh, anyone not Slovenian, is like, um, the biggest carpooling, uh, app here. And yeah, and that one is completely free for, for, to, for users, for providers, for like anyone. So Prevos started as a, you know, as a as a homework during faculty mm-hmm. and it was you know a bunch of developers kind of trying to find things to work on so that was now i guess 12 years ago <laughs> and it's the, interestingly enough the site is still growing we're getting more and more users um daily yeah it's it's amazing i mean and 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 also it's just became like a uh, i don't know what the correct word is but like a staple everyone knows but it was not org here yeah it's it's there but it's a, a lot of you know kind of sign of times you know if i wouldn't you know if we wouldn't build this site somebody else would you know it's... do you think so because there are so many alternatives like i mentioned like blah blah car and and like um more international pages i i'm not sure a local a slovenian one would evolve if you weren't there at that time i mean when we started there were at least six other sites in slovenia doing the same thing and it took us i guess five years to become kind of to get traction um and we could never do that if we had investment or kind of oh yeah made you know kind of looked at it from the numbers point of view um, so the story here is mostly like, you know, the site is more or less running itself. There's some support work for people that forgot their passwords and so on. But otherwise, the reason why we can do it is because we have, um, you know, one of the team members is running their, his own hosting company. So we get the servers from him. <laughs> and that's, you know, one part. And the other part, it was, it was always a very good technological playground. The site is big enough. It has, you know, millions of page page views a month. Mm-hmm. So it always was like experience. How do you scale this up? How do we build user interfaces that don't require a lot of tech support emails and so on? And did you ever think about monetizing it or at least having like a donation bucket or anything like that? There's, you know, there's always talk. They're always like thinking, should we do that or not? Um, there's always people, you know, almost on a monthly basis that come and say, you know, we want to buy the site or we want to sell the ads on the site and so on. And quickly I kind of figure out it's more or less a waste of time. Um, they, they usually don't have the experience or understanding of how to do this. So that was one part. And the other part was like, you know, I think the site itself, you know, it's kind of, 
I tend to think it a lot as a finished project now. It's there, it's working. And there are so many other opportunities that you know all the team members are focusing on. And you know, where we can also grow more and do things that we really love to do instead of trying to make this small site into a viable business. Yeah. No, it it, it makes sense. I was just um because I know like you're a, you're a big proponent of like charging for everything uh, because like it provides value. So of course you should pay for it. And um, this, on the other hand, provides a lot of value to a lot of people daily and is uh, completely free. So that's, well, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. So like WebCamp itself also provides a lot of value, but it's mm-hmm. also free that's true. for people to attend. Well, you had those supporter tickets, right? <laughs> I had those supporter tickets, but so even that was in the last year. Yeah. And it was there mostly to ensure, you know, kind of financial stability of the project. So it wouldn't kind of come back to me to finance it myself if we couldn't get the funding, you know, couldn't get the sponsors. I'm proponent of charging businesses the value we create for them, but that's a business context, right? It's where people do, you know, people hire services and then they resell them at a higher rate because that's, you know, how business works. Yeah. Whereas where we're doing a community context where we're trying to kind of lift people up and empower and encourage them to do more, I don't necessarily think that money should be objection. Um, no objection, a, a limit, limit, limiting factor. So like an obstacle, right? Yeah. And it, it, in this environment where there are so many kind of public, semi-public spaces, um, it's so cheap to run events. Why should we limit them, you know, with, with money? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, uh, absolutely agree. And, and the other thing is, right, we're limiting the whole ecosystem for everybody. So every developer that gets a better job kind of lifts up everybody around them, right? It lifts up their their partner, you know, their their extended family, because now they're more financially sound, you know, they may be, be in position to kind of pay off their apartment or a house maybe 10 years earlier than otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps everybody. How would you educate people or like tell them um, or so somehow force them to start speaking about this more uh, and like speaking loudly about um, how much we, we make? And um, if, if not, just like generally, because... Um, obviously, uh, to compared to like I don't know, an average Slovenian salary, developers make much more. So, if if not with everyone, at least between each other. I think we just need to create spaces for them to talk about it. So it's like I think you know people like you know us. We need to go out and do more talks about how it's like to work remotely. How it's how do we work with clients and so on. Because then people that kind of get the spark at that point come privately to us and say, Hey, you know, let's go for a coffee and, you know, can you and teach me? Mm -hmm. And then as we kind of mentor them, they will get their skills and then they will pay it forward to their own communities and to the people that they trust. And how do you do that without coming off as just like, oh, look at me, look at how much I make? I don't think you can. At this <laughs> po- I, I think at this point, you know, people are going to criticize you, whatever you do, because of the whole, all the, you know, the 
ne negative selection kind of biases, but that's true for everybody. Even the people, you know, in the U S that are successful, they get so much criticism while the others that kind of support them, they're quiet, but then, you know, they have this kind of quiet, um, direct conversations with them. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's end up on uh, more positive notes. Um, <laughs> what would your like three recommendations be, uh, which can be like book or articles or videos or whatever? I really love Zen Founder podcast. Okay, that was really that's something I always look forward. And it's so they talk a lot about you know origin stories of founders about mental health, about how to keep, you know, sane in this world of stress, stressful business interaction. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend that to everybody, even if you're not running your own company. Other podcast I really like is Akimbo from Seth Godin. And it's about marketing, but it's not about marketing as such. It's about how to view the world differently how to think about things that are happening around us in words in really nice, okay. with really nice examples and storytelling. And the third thing I would recommend to everybody is find your local Toastmaster club and start public, you know, start practicing public speaking. Even if you don't plan to do any public speaking, you should still do it because it will make you more relaxed, the job interviews, it's going to have, you know, make your meetings better and so on. It's just life-changing. Funny thing is, I, I wanted to attend so many times, but I never, never managed to do it. <laughs> and the good, the cool thing about that is even if you're already really good, that's an, you know, community environment that will push you to be, to become even better. Yeah. So, um, you're saying that pe people there are, uh, nicer people than the average. It's a growth oriented, you know, community. Right. Um, so you come there, everybody will be, you know, kind of supporting you saying, you know, giving you ideas, tips, they're there also to grow. So it's a really kind of environment that by design forces you to become a better version of yourself. Makes sense. And um, yeah, uh, with with that, uh, I would like to thank you, Yure, for, for taking your time and uh, being a, a guest in, in this podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. A pleasure is all mine. Bye. Bye. All right. This was my interview with Yure. As you know, Parallel Passion is a new podcast. Sharing with your friends and followings helps us a lot. Just send out a tweet or post a link on your Facebook. You want your friends to listen to a good podcast, right? If you listen to Apple Podcasts, I'd love to see a new review there. We have a couple, but there's never too many. And if you use a different app, you should rate, favorite, like, or whatever your podcast app of choice supports. If you enjoyed this show, consider supporting it via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. Or open the show notes in your podcast app and follow the Patreon link there. Every dollar counts. Thank you. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are at PerpassPod on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes in your podcast app and on our website, parallelpassion.com 12. Thank you and have a passionate day.